Welcome to the Principled Podcast, brought to you by LRN. The Principled Podcast brings together the collective wisdom on ethics, business and compliance, transformative stories of leadership, and inspiring workplace culture. Listen in to discover valuable strategies from our community of business leaders and workplace changemakers. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Principled Podcast from LRN. My name is Ben DiPietro. I'm the editor of LRN's ENC Pulse newsletter. I hope you can find it and subscribe. I'm honored to have as a guest today my former LRN colleague and my still friend and mentor, Marsha Rishagi Hames, now a partner with Tapestry Networks. Welcome, Marsha. It's nice to talk to you again. It's great to be here, Ben. This should be fun being on the other side of the interview table. Yes, and I know I speak for everyone here at LRN when I say we miss you very much and hope you and your family are being safe and doing well. So let's start there. How are you doing? We're doing well. My two college-age young adults are home, and we are adapting to our new family rhythm, which is filled with lots of chocolate chip cookies, late-night mac and cheese uh, ventures, and good music. So we're, we're hanging in there. Good, good. Glad to hear it. You spent almost uh, two decades here at LRN, and you played a leading role in the company's success during all that time. You left earlier this year for your new role at Tapestry Networks. Tell us what prompted that decision to leave and what you're doing now in your new job. Hats off to LRN. I was really fortunate to grow and build my career. They were a pioneer really in developing the standards and the benchmarks for corporate governance and compliance and ethics solutions. So there was a lot of learning that I experienced, especially as the compliance and ethics industry evolved really real time. You know, I got to be at the forefront of both progressive situations and some difficult conversations. You know, a lot of executives were having to move from reacting to situations to being proactive. And along the way, I started seeing that, you know, accountability at all levels is really, really critical. And when I say at all levels, I don't mean just at the top, but the very, very top. And I was starting to engage with the board. And in my dialogue with board members and directors, I found that at times they just didn't have the right visibility into the company's culture. I mean, their lens was kind of limited. And so looking at kind of the backdrop of what has been unfolding over the last few years, you know, with a heavy focus on, you know, vigilance of reputation and ethical leadership and having more independence. And especially like last August when Business Roundtable issued that statement on the purpose of the corporation, I sort of felt like I knew my calling. I felt like my calling was now to engage more actively and deliberately with the board. So for me, joining Tapestry was just a natural step change. Joining Tapestry is really where I felt I could start to expand my impact And in terms of what I'm doing with Tapestry, I design and support networks of dialogue with non-executive directors around, you know, some of the difficult issues that public and private sectors are focused upon. And I'm specifically in the corporate governance practice, and I focus on audit committee networks and also a network called the Compensation Committee Leadership Network. But Tapestry, just, you know, for your audience to know as a whole, Their networks are global, very, you know, all-encompassing. 
And some of the participants convene, you know, because they've got common interests, such as, let's say, board and shareholder engagement or, you know, cyber risk issues. And then some of the, the participants and members are very sector focused. So it's sort of like we're, you know, we've got the banking governance leadership network or healthcare um, or insurance, you know, and others. So it's been very rewarding and rapidly changing considering our current circumstances. Sure. And you just uh, started this job earlier this year before the <laughs> pandemic really hit. And yeah. obviously wondering how it changed the way you're approaching your job then. What's different from what you were planning to do? Well, so a, a lot of, I think, having impact is the in-person dialogue. And, you know, I found that in all aspects of, of my entire career. So I think one of the, the biggest changes right now for a lot of us, not just here at Tapestry, but across the board is travel. So, you know, we've cut travel 100%. But what I can share is my perception right now is that the impact hasn't entirely wavered. What I've found is given the fact that we're all sort of sheltered in place and a little more isolated, it's kind of increased the desire and the thirst for knowledge, for exchanging you know, ideas and having interpersonal dialogue. So in my realm, what I'm seeing is that a lot of directors, they want to have conversations. They're really seeking practical advice on you know, how to proceed in this unprecedented environment. So, and you know, and in my experience, even you know, working with my colleagues at LRN and some of the things we saw at the forefront is that crises, whenever there's a crisis, it, it's really the time to build strategic relationships. So what I'm seeing with boards is that directors are very intentional in ensuring that they're having direct dialogue regularly, both with their management teams, shareholders, the workforce, and more. So it's it's a very critical time. And to that end, you've uh, held a series of virtual meetings with audit committee chairs from many of the nation's top corporations. What did you learn in those sessions as to what boards are doing and thinking about in the midst of the pandemic? directors today are really facing some very hard decisions and really daily. So it's been it's been a lot of pressure. It's very intense and, and, and at times can be quite exhausting. I think we'd all agree right now that just across the board, we're also kind of in an inflection point. So it's the long-term horizons are something that we're really looking at. So what am I hearing? The first thing I think that's been pretty consistent as a priority is that liquidity and financial reporting is top of mind for audit committee chairs. There's a lot of conversation around scenario planning. Things are, you know, changing daily, rapidly. And as you know, you know, being solvent and being stable economically really has this ripple or domino effect in terms of the short-term and the long-term plans of an organization. A second big area, and I had just mentioned this, I just got off the phone with an expert who was a, a former FBI agent of 27 years that focused on cyber threats is the vulnerabilities that the distractions of this pandemic have opened up around cyber. So cyber risk hasn't historically been a topic that, let's say, boards may regularly engage in. You know, we certainly at Tapestry have a cyber risk director network. But I'm, I'm looking at kind of across the board, what am I hearing? And today, they are focusing on really engaging their, not only their CIOs, but their chief information and security officers, just trying to figure out like contingency planning, 
there's a lot of kind of capacity planning for how do we support our networks now that everyone abruptly has gone remote. I mean, some organizations have 300,000 employees that suddenly had to go remote within five days. And then also with regards to cyber, board members are also convening. So they're having to now rely on secure ways to connect and discuss very confidential information. So trying to kind of, you know, manage those protocols just to make sure that the exchanges are, are secure. But I would have to say the, the most important theme that I'm hearing across the board is the human capital factor. It's very personal. It's very real. I think the human toll of this pandemic is, it's very hard to fathom. Every director that I've heard from, they will share up front that they're very focused on the health and the safety of other companies' employees and referring, you know, to the employees as the greatest asset. But a lot of companies, and we have some that we're speaking to, have been faced with moving to scenarios like furloughs. And in a few cases, you know, some executives and non-executive directors have begun voluntarily foregoing compensation. You know, in some cases, they're even redirecting this to employee assistance funds. So it's very palpable and it's very uncomfortable. And the term, I think, is what has everyone concerned. It's not like an event occurred like prior crises, whether it was a recession in 08, 09, 9-11. You know, when you think of kind of how do we plan for scenarios, it's almost like every day there is a um, aftershock. And I think that's what's been really, really difficult, trying to assess how long this disruption and this situation will continue. Now, a bright spot that I've seen is some of this has created some opportunities to reallocate skill sets and transfer skills. Let's say I've seen audit chairs reporting that they're reassigning some internal audit staff to support like cyber or IT or HR, you know, they need to recruit to build or support something new. So there are some interesting, creative ways that situations or scenarios are trying to be addressed, but there's just nothing like it. How can a board then engage and make better use of the ethics and compliance programs and assets that are there when it comes to the COVID-19 response and for how to move forward, which is some of the conversation of what's happening now this week here in yeah. mid-April, we should tell people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of talk right now about the new normal, returning to the new normal and you know what is that going to look like? I've certainly heard the topic around, again, scenario planning and modeling different options. When it comes to ethics and compliance programs, so how could those assets really help? You know, I think that as a director, if they had access to like a dashboard, a dashboard that shows, you know, here's kind of some of the newly emergent risks. Here's the potential opportunities, the potential gaps. And really even, you know, we used to discuss this when I was with LRN, but like a pulse on culture. Like, can you see like a color map of where are the opportunities to rebuild and strengthen and where are there certain influencers that can help tie and connect the organization together? I also think as, you know, part of kind of the ENC strategy, the dialogue matters. So similar to the example earlier where I mentioned that, you know, directors are speaking to CIOs and, and CISOs on cyber matters, you know, I think the chief compliance officer, the chief ethics and compliance officer needs to have a direct dialogue. They need to get on the agendas, these 
of these meetings. And, the, and boards are convening quite regularly now, far more than they would have traditionally connected, just because of the active conversations and the evolving situations. So I think it's a perfect time for the SECO to have a little bit more visibility and to offer some opportunity for better alignment in terms of communication to not only you know external stakeholders and stuff, but like the customers and, and the communities that they do business in. And I think that a lot of that could be brought forward by the SECO to the board. So whenever that time comes that people do come back to the office, how is that office going to be changed and what changes do you expect to see in how people work? Will the viability and now widespread adoption of people working from home make offices obsolete to some degree? Yeah. So I think on the on the point around offices becoming obsolete, it's a broad question around just commercial real estate, I think, in general, and how businesses are going to convene and design how they convene. But with respect to the bright spots that I'm seeing in the support of a remote workforce, the technology enablement piece has been very positive for me to see kind of how companies are stepping up, they're heightening their support to ensure that, you know, large on a large scale, they can support a remote workforce, uh, especially with, you know, more secure protocols, the right tools and resources that they need really to support business continuity. So I think technology enablement is here to stay. And I think we're going to see more agility around that. Another thing I think is also mental health awareness and support for family care. So one of the conversations going on around reopening America is we can't reopen businesses if we don't reopen schools. And I think companies have become far more acutely aware or far more acutely sensitized to the fact that there is a lot of connection between supporting our extended families, communities, children, and our ability to focus and help move the business forward. And so that to me, again, it's a bright spot in that this awareness is real and that we're having a national dialogue. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I've done video conferences where my colleagues have young children on their laps, or I've had a couple colleagues go into a closet because it was the only space that was quiet and secure, right? From, you know, all the noise in the family. And then there's also extended family. So we're supporting loved ones, elders, young people who unfortunately have been impacted acutely, whether it's through the coronavirus or even they had pre-existing health situations or health matters. So it's a lot of responsibility that's kind of at the forefront of American corporations today. And I think it's going to materially shift our ability to support more flexible work arrangements. And it's going to put a lot of pressure, I think, also on building processes that help companies really put their values into action. Let's get out of here with this last final question then and uh, really appreciate you uh, taking some time to uh, hang out with us again. It's nice to uh, reconnect. How will the ethics and compliance programs need to change to be effective in a post-COVID world? I think it just comes down to agility and relevance. So having access to the right information, the right time is going to have all the impact in the world. And when I look at, you know, what does an ENC program offer and what can really the Delta be is since we've got all these unfolding events that are, they're becoming huge distractions, we've got to figure out a way to engage these cross-functional stakeholders, right? So we've got to get the messages aligned. 
HR and IT and legal and the executive management team, they all need to be aligned around their outreach internally to their greatest asset, which is their employees, and to their customers and the communities and their investor shareholders. So I think that compliance and ethics programs can kind of be that bedrock. It can house or kind of be the knowledge bank of resources that not only help with risk mitigation and ethical decision-making, but it kind of becomes a point of connectivity. So it's sort of like, okay, we've got these policies because obviously companies are trying to figure out how do we revise or create new policies, but it's more so how do we put them into action? You know, how do we support the business and still listen and be empathetic and be patient and support, you know, wellness while innovating? How do we be empathetic while supporting the stresses of of the mental health pressures with what is going on? So nothing's changed, you know, since when, when I look at kind of the progression of compliance and ethics, I think compliance and ethics should be integrated into the day-to-day, but what can change is their agility, their ability to remain relevant. And really, I mean, the messages I used to share is you've got to lead with culture, right? So your, your ENC program has to lead with culture. And when you, when you lead with culture, compliance is the outcome. I want to thank you so much. This was great. Love spending some time with you and uh, wish you the best of luck going forward and stay safe. And I'm sure we'll be connecting again in the near future. Thank you, Ben. And thank you to the LRN team for having me here. We hope you enjoyed this episode. The Principled Podcast is brought to you by LRN. At LRN, our mission is to inspire principled performance in global organizations by helping them foster winning ethical cultures rooted in sustainable values. Please visit us at LRN.com to learn more. And if you enjoyed this episode, subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen. And don't forget to leave us a review.